No greater mystical concept than the concept of love. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about what's it look like for us as followers of Jesus to live out love. So as we get started, we're welcoming uh, Amped, Blend, Roan County, and uh, down in Bearden. Good morning to y'all. Uh, you can open your Bibles to Ephesians in chapter four. We're gonna pick up where we left off last week, and we're gonna be talking about love. Um, so, so do you have people in your world who... Um, it's been a while, maybe even since you've been around him, but you still uh, say things that they say. So, so my wife and I, we have that. There was a couple that we used to, to hang out with. It was like more than 20 years ago, uh, Nick and Joe. And Nick and Joe, they had little kids at the time, and they would say, remember when we used to be in love? Do you remember that? And now we have kids. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it resonates. And so, so my wife and I will say that to each other. And people don't know how to deal. They don't know how to deal with that. I'll be like, you remember when we used to be in love? They're like, what? You're not still in love? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. Now it's the real love. Not, not that like funny feeling kind of love. Now it's the real love born out over time. It's the real deal. It used to be that fake love, you know, that, that funny little feeling that you would get. Oh, the happy kind of love. Now it's the grind it out kind of love. <laughs> That's what we're going to talk about, the grind it out kind of love. So as a follower of Jesus, here's, here's what's really important. Uh, this whole series is about living out our identity in Christ. And if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what you need to remind yourself. My identity demands that I live out love. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not an accessory. There's a demand. Paul here is writing in a way that, that says love is expected. It, it's a demand for those of us who have new life in Christ. Uh, our identity demands it, that we would live out love. So it's going to be really important this week, every week, but this week in particular and for the next three weeks that we really remember where we've been. Because if we forget where we've been, if we forget our identity, if we forget the, the stuff that Paul has already all written, uh, already through this letter, it's not going to be long and we're going to be overwhelmed because it becomes very impossible for us to do if we don't first buy into who we are in Christ. All of a sudden, it just gets turned into a bunch of lists that, that are way beyond our ability. So here, here's, it's important that we follow the links. And as we saw last week, in the first three chapters, this, this whole big section is all about Jesus defining who we are. Jesus defines who we are. We don't, we don't define who we are if we're a follower of Christ. It's Jesus who defines who we are. And so this week in the Live It Out, you were encouraged to go back, skim through, and, and just cover the broad strokes. And some of you, you, you were looking for an A. You wrote down every little detail along the way. But really, the intent was you would just go back and you would remind yourself of the big picture of of what it means that, that our identity is in Christ. Then as we go from there, as we come to chapter four, there's this huge transition sentence that, that Paul says, hey, in light of everything that's, that's come about your identity, he writes, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with Patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. 
That word to walk means to live. And for this series, every time you see walk, we're saying live, live it out. And, and then for the, the next two weeks, after this week, he now defines the things that we're supposed to walk in or the things that we're supposed to live out. This week, it's live out love. Next week, it's live out light. Two weeks from now, it's live out wisdom. It's, it's the call on our lives to be people who put our faith into motion. And, and here he says that we would live in a manner that's worthy to the calling with which we've been called. And, and if you remember back a couple weeks ago, we talked about how this is a, a call to be great followers of Jesus. Now, that might not seem very humble to you to talk about being a great follower of Jesus. That may seem a little bit like an oxymoron, that aren't we supposed to be humble followers of Jesus? And I would suggest to you that humble followers of Jesus are great followers of Jesus. It's something we're supposed to aspire to. It's something that we're supposed to hold out there, that we would be really great at following Jesus. Why? Because what Jesus has done for us is beyond great. If we think about the fact that we were once dead and we're now alive, we were once children of wrath, but we now have new life in Christ. If we think about the fact that we were adopted into God's family and we've been seated with Jesus in the heavenly places, if, if we think about that, that, that's beyond great. And so aspiring to be great followers is the life that's worthy of the incredible thing that God has done for us. And so to aspire to greatness is the call for every follower of Christ. Aspire to greatness in what? Following Christ. That's defined by, he goes on to say, with all humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, love, and maintaining the unity that's in the spirit. That's what it looks like to be a great follower. And then he goes on to tell us more throughout that chapter about being a people who are transformed, that we would be a people who are different, that we would put off the old and put on the new. Picking up in, in verse 20, he writes, but that is not the way you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirits of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And so as we remember back to last week, holiness is something that, that isn't achieved. It's something that's given. You are holy, and your job is to live out holiness. That is your identity. From the very beginning of, uh, of this letter, Paul has addressed the recipients as the holy ones. That word is saint. It means to the holy ones living in or near Ephesus, to those people who've been set apart by God for God's purpose. And so everyone who has new life in Christ is holy. You've been set apart by God for God's purpose. That's the definition. Set apart by God for God's purpose. You are holy. So now... What's it look like for you to live out holiness like we talked about last week? And what that looks like, now we get into the very practical description. It looks like to live out holiness is to live out love. To be a people who are set apart for God's purpose is to put love into motion in our life. So we pick up in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, 
but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. If you highlight or underline, underline that walk in love. You're gonna underline that for the next three weeks. What's the thing that we're supposed to live out? We're supposed to live out love. What's it look like? He's already told us in these preceding list of things. Now, here's the description. Some of you, you're like, just tell me what to do. Just give me the list. So here's the list. As followers of Jesus, here's our list. We reject falsehood in favor of speaking the truth. We avoid sin when we are angry We don't steal, but we work instead. We use words to build up. We replace bitterness and fighting with kindness, compassion, and forgiveness. And we imitate God by living out a loving lifestyle like Jesus. Okay, that's the list. Ready? Go do it. You got it? I I remember driving down Kingston Pike, coming through a stoplight, and I remember listening to this whole letter. I listened to it a bunch of times. I remember listening to this whole letter and coming to this part as I was going through this intersection. I, I still, it's vivid in my mind. Now, the thing about this is that doesn't happen. There's only a few instances in my life that I would have a vivid kind of recollection, recollection, recollection of something like this. There's only a few times that I'd be, okay, this thought went through my mind at this place. I can't tell you the day and time, but I can tell you exactly where it happened. Listening to this, hearing this list and going, oh, that's not me. How would I ever do that? And so I had to come to to grips with the fact like this is beyond me. This is something that's, that's beyond my ability. It's beyond my capability. It's beyond my ability to dig deeper and try harder. So there must be something that, that Paul's pointing towards. And, and the way we, in sermon meeting, we kind of wrestled through it is we came up with this idea of some of us just want to approach life as a checklist, but what Paul is actually writing about is a lifestyle. We want to just be like, okay, just tell me, do this, don't do that. And so many people, they reduce the life of following Christ to just the list. Do this, don't do that, and you'll be a good moral person, and you'll go to heaven when you die, and it'll be fine. But that is not what Paul is writing here. He's writing about who we are. He's writing about living out our identity. And so when it comes to this, it can't be now he switched it all up and goes, oh, therefore now be, be a, a list-based kind of people. No, he's been, he's been convincing us. He's been trying to convince us of who we are and a light of who we are. How then shall we live? And so what we see here is, is that there's a picture of being a people 
who, who are embracing the gospel that Jesus both saves and transforms. When we use that word, it just means good news. And you'll remember, Two Rivers, that when we talk about the good news, it's not just that, that Jesus saves. That's one side of the coin. But if you flip that other side of the coin over, it's that he also transforms people. That it, it isn't just about that work of, of saving you, of, of going to heaven someday. No, it's about that he's brought you into God's family to change who you are, to restore you to being the image bearer of God that you were created to be. When we talk about being people who are, who are growing to look more and more like Christ, two rivers, we should be connecting this. We've been through Genesis we know that, that the, in creation that we were created to be image bearers of God, but that was broken by sin. And the way that that's restored is only through Christ. And so as we continue to step into that, uh, that image bearing of Christ by becoming more and more like Jesus over time, our purpose in life is being fulfilled. Now, what we see is that, that Paul emphasizes the, the importance of us being a, a truth-telling people within the community of faith. So living out love is based on living a truth-telling lifestyle. It's based on living a truth-telling lifestyle. Not, not a new concept. We've talked about that, that we need, be, need to be a people who are living out the truth in love and, and that uh, truth and love are not diametrically opposed. These are not opposites of one another. It's not like I get to either tell you the truth or love you. No, it's, it's what's it look like. And, and most of what we're talking about is speaking the truth of who God is and who you are. What we're not saying is delivering, you know, like Mark talked about last week, not delivering your truth, which isn't a thing, not delivering your version of the truth and expecting a person to comply. That's not what we're talking about. It's about speaking the truth of who people are, that you are a new creation in Christ. Any voice that's telling you you're not, you're not worthy, that's not true. That's minimizing the gospel. That's the opposite of truth. The more that you beat yourself up about who you are, that's not humility, that's pride. The more that you say, I'm not, that you're just kidding yourself. Why? Because you're minimizing who God is. Those are the truths that we have to be speaking into one another's lives. Oh, I'm not, I could never. Yeah, but Jesus has. And the good news is you don't ever have to because Jesus has already done it. Now, these practical encouragements, they're very practical, right? Like, if, like I'm not saying that we should avoid the list. There's, there's, you may go back through this and you'd be like, okay, hey, this is a thing I'm struggling with. We're not encouraging you not to do that, but, but it can't just be, a, a, I did this or don't did that. It, it's how do I put this in my day in, day out life? You see, these practical encouragements are relational. And here's the thing about relationships. Relationships are not lists. People aren't projects. We live a life with other followers of Christ, paying attention to what's going on in their lives and in, in the life of the community of faith. That, that we aren't a, a people who just go, okay, well, I did that this time. That's great. I can check that off my list and move on. No, why? Because you got to see these people again tomorrow. And for the people you live with the day after that, and then the day after that, and then the day after that. And so it can't just be a list. It has to be something of, of what it looks like for us to actually become the people of God. Now, the really cool thing that what Paul writes about here is there's nothing new. He actually goes 
to the scriptures to point of what this looks like for us to be a people who live in the community of faith. He's not like, hey, God's come up with a new plan. There's a radical new plan, and here it is. He actually goes to the prophet Zechariah. That's the first place he goes. In the prophet Zechariah, he, he gives just a little phrase. Now, you remember two rivers. What we talked about before is that when there's little phrases, and you'll, you'll notice in the, your text that there's a short little quote from another place in scripture or an allusion to another place in scripture, we've talked about it's really important that you would actually go to that place and you would read the stuff that's around it. That, that you would go, okay, wait, how do I take How do I take this in context? Because the New Testament is written with the understanding that you would know the Old Testament. It's written with that understanding. And so we have to go there. We have to expand it out. So we've expanded it out a little bit. And the context of here is is the prophet Zechariah is writing about the new people of God. For thus says the Lord of hosts, as I purpose to bring disaster to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, and I did not relent, says the Lord of hosts, So again, I have purposed in these days to bring good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Fear not. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. And do not devise in your hearts, do not, sorry, devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. God made us to be a truth-telling people. And and through the Old Testament prophets, he's saying, my people are going to be a truth-telling people. And now Paul's like, okay, so live it out. God's already told us that. He also refers to Psalm 4. And it's specifically in verse 4, but we're going to expand it out again. But know that the Lord has has set apart the godly for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Be angry and do not sin. Ponder in your own hearts and on your beds and be silent. Offer right sacrifices and put your right sacrifices and put your trust in the Lord. This is a life to be lived. And so when, when we see this phrase, be angry and do not sin, some people just want to sit there and go, okay, wait, now I can justify myself because the anger that I have is righteous anger. And I'm supposed to, this is a command, be angry. And so I am supposed to have righteous anger. And I would suggest to you that's missing the point. Anger is going to happen. Okay, let's just use it as as one of the the examples. Anger is going to happen. And just like with with many things that are going to well up within us emotionally, that, that it's about how then we respond when that emotion happens. And so I think sometimes there's a disconnect, and this is another thing we talked about in our sermon meeting, that there's a disconnect between when, what is sin and what isn't sin. When do we miss the mark, and, and, and when are we just going, okay, wait a minute, I am a human being, so when I experience anger, I'm experiencing an emotion that actually the Old Testament tells me that God experiences, and the New Testament, it tells me that Jesus experienced it, and he demonstrated that, and so wait a minute, I'm experiencing an emotion that I was actually created to experience. So the sin doesn't happen when we become angry. The sin happens when we respond in our anger in an ungodly way. Does this make sense? 
It's important that we would grasp that concept. Anger isn't the only example. There's lots of examples like that. And so the, all of a sudden, if we, we really understand what's going on there, now we can call anger, anger, and then not sin when we become angry. And we don't have to, to lie about our anger and call it something else. I'm just frustrated with you right now. I'm just, I'm not angry. I'm just not gonna talk to you right now. Whatever it is, whatever your expression of anger is. So that's, that's what that looks like for us, to go, okay, call what is what is, but then don't take the next step. Stop it there. Put on the new you, the new you who responds in grace. You see, we have to remember that all of these practical encouragements are relational and our actions impact each other and the spiritual realm. I tell you what, Two Rivers, I, I, I've, been, I've, been, um, I've been through this letter, okay? For, for the last 20 years, I've been through this letter multiple times in and out. Um, you know, 15 years ago, 17 years ago, something like that, I had to translate the whole letter. And so I've been in and around this letter. But through this series, there's something that has grabbed a hold of me in a way that it never has before. And so um, I wasn't supposed to talk to this, but I'm going to. So here we go. And uh, turn back to chapter three. And in the middle of chapter three, in the midst of, of Paul describing the mystery of the gospel, who is Christ, right? Who is Christ who revealed and that, the, that those people who are outside of the, the children of Israel, that the Gentiles, all of those non-Jewish people called Gentiles, that they would be included in, in God's family. And that's gonna happen through Christ. But in, in chapter three, verse 10, this I don't know why, but all of a sudden it was just like, bam. And maybe it's because I've been paying more attention from the very beginning of the letter that, that Paul is writing not just about the physical realm, but also about the spiritual realm. Everything that he says that we have in Christ is in the heavenly places. It's in the spiritual realm and it's realized already. While it's not yet realized in the physical realm, it's, it is realized in the spiritual realm. We're already seated with Christ in the heavenly places, he's talking about the spiritual realm. So then it goes on to say in, in verse 10 that, that it would be through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Some of you are like, Dave, it was right there all along. It's it's not hidden, it's right there in plain sight. How many times do you have something that's right there in plain sight, but you missed it? Now, I'm a guy, that happens to me all the time. <laughs> hey, honey, have you seen my? It's right there in plain sight. It's right there. The one aspect of the mystery of the gospel is that the people of God, the church, the people of God would declare the wisdom of God that it's revealed through the people of God to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Now, you'll get some Bible teachers. They want to try and explain that away, that this isn't spiritual realm kind of thing. This is, this is just talking about, no, this is spiritual realm stuff. That, that there are forces, rulers and powers and authorities that he's been writing about and he's going to write about even more. And, and here what we see, excuse me, is that he, he begins to talk about being a people who 
Grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, there's an interesting phrase, grieve the Holy Spirit. We don't always know what to do with that. And so as we come to this, I really think it's important that we would remind ourselves before we're talking about being grieving the Holy Spirit, that we would remind ourselves what Paul writes about in the very beginning of this letter, and that is that we've been sealed by the, the Holy Spirit, so we're a people who belong to God, okay? Way back, chapter one, he reminds us that, that our identity is we belong to God and that we've been sealed by God. And because we've been sealed by God, we can know that we know that we know that, that we belong to him and how we've been sealed by God by the Holy Spirit. So we belong to God. And now here, I believe it's essential if we're going to live out our identity that we would know this, that as a follower of Jesus, I belong to God so I can embrace an old for new lifestyle. Embracing an old for new lifestyle requires that I would be honest first and foremost with me. If I can't be honest with me, I surely can't be honest with you. Going back to our illustration of anger, if I can't even admit my anger to myself by trying to explain it away, I surely cannot admit my anger to you. And so it's important that we would go, wait a minute, I belong to God. And, and because I've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, he's not going to get mad and, and, and cast me off. No, I belong to him. I'm part of his family. I'm one of his people. Remember, I am one of his valuable personal property that he's not going to throw in the trash heap. I belong to God. So I can be honest about what's going on in me and I can trade away the old for the new. When we have confidence of who we are in Christ, we can embrace the truth, trade away the old and put on the new. And then when we come to this word, grieve the Holy Spirit, we can embrace it and be honest and say, okay, wait a minute, there's something that's going on. And so that word grieve, it can be translated as grief. In the original language, it can be translated as grief. It's, it's a valid translation. But here, the way that it's used, it actually means to cause severe mental or emotional distress. Think about it. When, when we act in a way that disrupts the unity that Paul has already told us at the beginning of chapter four that exists in Christ, for all of those who are in Christ, that we've been given by the Holy Spirit, we are united in Christ. And remember two weeks ago, we talked about the only thing that we can do is get in the way. We can either recognize it and live it out, or we can disrupt it. We can't create it because the Holy Spirit has given it, so we can either live it out in our lives, or we can reject it and cause disruption. How do we cause disruption? Well, within the community of faith, when, when we are disagreeing with one another, we cause a disruption. And, and God says that, that we're causing the Holy Spirit to be grieved. The, the word can be translated as irritate, offend, or insult. That's different. Because the way the word is used here, it's, it's not like, oh, you made the Holy Spirit a little bit sad. No, you're offending the Holy Spirit. Why? Because he's given you unity and now you're actively messing it up. And so that becomes an insult to the work that the Holy Spirit has done. 
Now, some of you, I, I'm getting in your head right now because you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. How, how could I possibly do something that's offensive to God? And so I, I wanna encourage you. I, I think that the translators, Bible translators, they struggle with this. And so because they struggle with this, they choose, they choose a way to render that in, in a way that would be the least offensive way possible. Well, you know, you kind of grieve the Holy Spirit because you couldn't actually offend God, but we can actually offend God. So I wanna come at it from the other angle. And, and I wanna, I suggest to you that none of us, very few of us, some of us might, have a problem with t- talking about the fact that God takes great joy and delight in us. That you would be like, yeah, let's talk about that. The fact that God takes great joy and delight in us. Psalm 147 says, but the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, who those who hope in his steadfast love. And everybody's like, yeah, he does. And then in Zephaniah chapter three, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who, who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Yeah, we like that, right? Like God, yes. Gonna reach out and give us a big hug. He's for you. But I surely couldn't offend him. Why? He's for me. And yet, when we do things that actively work against him, it says that we grieve, we offend the Holy Spirit of God, we insult the work that God has done to us. And so there's something bigger that's happening here. And that thing that's bigger is happening in the spiritual realm. You see, our words can hurt God's people and offend God's spirit. And when that's happening, there's something happening in the spiritual realm. Now, as we talk about that, I, I want to encourage you, if you didn't go back and, and through the Live It Out, watch the um, series from the Bible Project on spiritual beings, I want to encourage you, go back, don't jump in the middle, go back to episode one. I heard from some people this week, they're like, yeah, I've been watching those. I had to watch one of them like five times because I was like, how do I get my mind around this? It's important that we, would, that we would understand this. Why? Because Paul's operating on an assumption that we would understand the spiritual realm, at least in a basic kind of way, at least that we would know that it exists. And so here's what I would say to you. When we talk about being a people who, who when we talk about the devil, that word that, that, that is used back in verse 27, that we would be a people who give no opportunity to the devil, that's the adversary of God. And what's it talking about when we would be a people who give, who give no opportunity to the devil? That we wouldn't create, create the space. That we wouldn't give the room for the, the adversary of God to operate. And so we first of all have to understand that there is a spiritual adversary and recognize that when we are, are, are causing disruption with one another, that that's affecting what's going on in the spiritual realm. Now, here's the thing. Many of us would not have a problem with saying that, that it could be the devil who tempted you into something or he provided an obstacle for you. And so we, we see that as a very one direction kind of thing. But you don't think that what you do could actually impact the spiritual realm in the opposite direction. But Paul seems to think that it can. 
And so when we're living in unity, when we're living out this description of what it looks like to be the people of God, what are we doing? We're declaring the gospel into the heavenly spaces. We're living in harmony with one another. We're living out the good news of who Jesus is. We're living a loving lifestyle of the gospel. We're declaring into the heavenly spaces the good news of Jesus. We're actually making an impact in the heavenly realm. And when we're not, we're making an impact in the heavenly realm. I'm telling you what, this is bigger, guys. This is bigger than you think it is. That's been my takeaway from our journey through Ephesians. Like, it's more than just you, your neighborhood, and I hope everything turns out okay. There's something bigger that that Paul is pointing us towards, that we would be a people who are forever declaring the good news of who God is, both here on earth and in the heavenly spaces. Now, as we talk about this, as we come to the end, as we talk about being imitators of God as beloved children, to be a people who walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God, to be a people who, who love is to be a people who forgive. And as followers of Jesus, we're called to, to be great followers, and great followers live a loving lifestyle. If you want to be like, what's it look like to be, to be great at following Jesus? It's to live out a loving lifestyle. This is the gospel-centered life. The gospel-centered life lives out love. It's, it's what it does. It's the life that Paul wrote to the church in Galatia when he wrote, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Paul's exhortation to live a life that's worthy of the calling, it's it's to say, okay, well, what is the way that Christ loved us? It's a crucifixion kind of love. It's, it's a It's a self-denial, crucify self kind of love. So because of that, we as followers of Christ, as he talks about being a people who who are kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you, this is the golden key. The golden key is that we would be a people who, who are forgiving like Christ forgave you. How did Christ forgive you? Without measure, without condition, without uh, any expectation. So the question is, how do you forgive? How do you forgive? Because forgiveness is based on forgiveness. We, we forgive because we're forgiven. And so the example is, what, what does it look like to live out love by being a person who walks the road that Jesus walked? And forgiveness doesn't come with conditions or guess what? It's not forgiveness. But that's not how I roll, okay? Here's how I roll. You, you, I'll forgive you if you ask. First of all, you have to ask. And if you don't ask, I'm not gonna forgive you. And then if you do ask, I'm gonna judge you. And I wanna know, did you ask me the right way and did you really mean it? Did you ask me in the right tone of voice? Did you ask me at the right time? And I'm gonna tell you, well, I think you either deserve or don't deserve forgiveness because you didn't really mean it when you asked for forgiveness. And I have to go back and be like, whoa, that's not the standard. What's the standard? As Christ forgave you, what was his, what was his expectation? That you would simply come and say, I believe. And then, 
then it was just given. The forgiveness that's, that's without strings based on who Jesus is. And what happens then? There becomes harmony within the body of Christ. And the gospel's preached here on earth and in the heavenly realm. And then we go to next week. Folks, it gets harder from here. It just picks up. It just, just builds. And so if you think that this is just a, a list, like do this, don't do that, it won't be long and the wave's gonna come and it's gonna smack you down. I don't think I could make it through a week of trying to do this on my own because I don't think I can make it through a week doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit. It doesn't take long before I go, oh, I messed that up. Let me go back. Let me go back and remind myself of who I am in order that I could then put that into my life. You see, we don't find more love by looking deeper within. If you've been around church for, for two minutes, man, you know that's true. You're not gonna find more love by looking within. The only way to find more love is by looking to Jesus. The only way to find more love is by looking to Christ. It, Paul is explicit. The only kind of love that we're supposed to love each other with is the love of Christ. And what was the kind of love that Christ loved me with? Yes, he loved me first, just like John tells us. He loved me first, but most of all, he loved me to death. He loved me to death. That's the love of Christ. So that's the kind of love we're called to live out. So this is from a, a commentator who I've been using as we worked our way through Ephesians. His name is Mark Roberts. He, he writes, from Christ, we are taught to put off our old life and put on the new life. Yet that is not the end of being a Christian, but only the beginning. God continues to work in us, renewing us by his indwelling power. And we continue to choose each day to live the put off, put on life. That's what it is. It's, it's just the daily, folks, it, it's the daily grind. It's a word-dependent, spirit-empowered, gospel-centered daily grind, living out in relational community. That's the life. Some days you win. Some days you struggle. Some days you're like, oh, I lost today. But guess what? The next day you get up and we do it again, and we do it again, and we do it again. Why? It's the life. We live out love because why? We belong to Jesus. So every single day demands that we put off the old us and we put on the new us. We, we cast that away. We put on the good. We cast off the old. We put on the new. And, and what we do is we end up living life in the community of faith. And so one of the things that we have coming up is our next Serve Saturday. And so often when, when we're talking about our service weekend, serve Saturday kind of things, people think of it, well, that's just a chance for us to be the church outside the walls of the church, a good opportunity for us to be in the community. And while that's true, I wanna encourage you that it is much more than that. It's an opportunity for us to actually experience the community that we were designed to, to, to experience when we serve with one another and we build each other up. This morning, you heard Olivia's story. I met Olivia through a service weekend, an opportunity for us to serve together was the first chance that I got to meet her and a chance to actually be part of her story along the way. How does that happen? Well, it only happens if we're like, you know what, I'm gonna do that. Why? Because it's not just about us coming alongside other ministries and people in the community. It's also about us doing this together. And so when we talk about Serve Saturday, it's not like our life is divided up into these little segments. 
I guess that's what I'm really trying to say. Like, you can't think of it, like, this is my surf Saturday part. This is my I go to church part. This is my I go to group part. This is like I go to work part. And this is I live in my family part. No, it's, it's part of a cohesive whole. It's a lifestyle. And so surf Saturday is just an opportunity for us to join together with other followers of Jesus and serve people. And guess what happens? We build relationships with people in the community of faith. I know many of you have the same kind of story that you met people that you'd never met before because you served with them outside the church walls. So I wanna encourage you. It's, it's April 1st, and I, I wanna encourage you. Don't wait to sign up. We give you a very short timeline to sign up because we know if we give you a long timeline to sign up, you won't sign up any quicker. So I want to encourage you, sign up to rc.tv slash serve Saturday and, and, and go, you know what? This is important. Why? It's me living out a lifestyle of love. Because why? I, I'm going to do this with other followers of Jesus within my community of faith. We're going to demonstrate the gospel in word and deed, and we're going to partner probably with another ministry who's all about proclaiming the gospel in our community. And then... This week, as you head into the live it out, as you take next steps, um, there's two questions, and it's really important that we would consider these questions in order. The first question is, is to ask Jesus, where do I need to remember your love for me? Because that's the starting point. When we remember the love that Christ has for us, we can live out love. When we don't, I can get really mean really fast. But if I go there and remind the love that Jesus has for me, I, I, I have a hard time. But if I just ignore that part, just, yeah, Jesus loves me, and run off into my own little world, then it's really easy for me to be angry, hurt, and offended. And so as you walk into the, the live it out this week, that's our encouragement that, that you would actively engage We're gonna take you this week on a journey. You're gonna talk about more spiritual beings. You're gonna listen to the whole letter to the church in Colossae again. It's gonna be a great week and to live it out if you do it. There's stuff there. And then to actually have conversations with each other about it. But right now what we're gonna do is we're gonna worship. The Jesus who gave himself as a fragrant offering to God is the Jesus who's worthy of our worship. What an incredible gift it is to be able to worship him. And so in all of our venues, I'm going to invite you to stand here live. I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to pray for us. God, in this moment, we even need your help to to praise you. And so we ask that you would come and that you would guide our worship by the power of your spirit in Jesus' name.